We're going to read. <coughs> excuse me. We're going to read from the Bible again. Um, it's one. It's Luke chapter eighteen, and starting at verse nine. Luke chapter eighteen, starting at verse nine, which I think in the um, church Bibles, I think it is. One o four two, I think it's one thousand and forty two. If it's not, could someone please just call out? Sorry, one thousand forty two. Okay, yes, good. Thank you. So the um, the heading for this passage um, is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Should be starting at verse nine. Sorry, starting at verse nine. Reading through to verse fourteen. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. And look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. They were both in the temple. Tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, that is the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We're just going to pray now. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would speak to us about what we've just read. Lord, we, you know us inside out. You know the particular sins which we are prone to committing. And we pray that you will where necessary, rebuke us, but at the same time encourage us and show us the way how we can be accepted by you. Amen. So Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people 
who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else. They, some of those people in the crowd may also have been Pharisees. Pharisees were pe- people who took Jewish people who took their religion very seriously. They, but they had problems with understanding the heart of what God was saying to them. Um, and one of these two men who went to the temple to pray was a Pharisee a member of this Jewish religious sect noted for their strict observance and their interpretation and application of God's laws. But they, they didn't always get that application and interpretation right as God had intended people to understand them. They were concerned with an outward show of their religious beliefs they they appreciated or in a way they wanted the approval of their fellow Jews they wanted to be thought highly of their fellow Jews and Jesus was very critical of them in fact these Pharisees um, the religious the religious Jews they they began to hate Jesus. Jesus showed them up in the way that he spoke to the people, that in a way that the the ordinary um, person could understand. But the Pharisees looked down on others who they thought were not up to scratch, not up to their standard. Um, and we can see that, can't we, in the, in, those, in the verses that we've read. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He looked down. And this is religious people, Christians, we can be prone to, this, to sins like this as well. By the grace of God, he, is, he has forgiven us. His Holy Spirit is working in our heart and our mind. We are gradually being sanctified. We are being changed more to the likeness of Jesus. And it's very easy for us to be tempted to look down on other people. It's a terrible sin. Probably all of us are guilty. All of us here are guilty of that sin and we need to repent of it. So... Outwardly, the Pharisees appear to be very good, upstanding religious people. But inwardly, they were often guilty of hypocrisy and wickedness. Again, hypocrisy is a sin which perhaps Christians and other religious people are particularly prone to. God has worked powerfully in our hearts and minds. He's changed us. He's enabled us to turn away from sins, sins of our youth, sins of however old we are now. And it's, it's very easy for us, as God does change us for the better, to look down on other people. It's a terrible sin. It's a terrible sin. But, That Pharisee is not the only man in the parable. Two men 
went to the temple to pray. Two men who were worlds apart in what they thought and what they think about themselves. Worlds apart in their understanding of themselves. What do they think of themselves? What do they think they are like? What do they think is their standing in the eyes of God? And worlds apart in how they should approach God. And as we read about them, what they said, what they did, with God's help, we will see that there is only one way to approach God. Only one way that God will accept sinners like we are to approach him. Only one way to be accepted. Only one way to be forgiven. Only one way to be justified. And only one way to be reconciled to God. Only one way in which God is prepared to bring us back to himself and to forgive us. So, two men went up to pray. We can ask ourselves... What was the Pharisee doing? What was the Pharisee doing? On the face of it, he was praying to God. It says, verse 11, the Pharisee stood up. Right, sorry, I shouldn't. Okay, he was, on the face of it, he was praying to God. But I would say, ask the question, was he praying to God? Well, Verse 11 says, he stood up and prayed about himself. Oh God, I thank you I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. On the face of it, he was praying to God, but I think he was praying to himself. He was talking to himself. To use the the phrase that is used today by young people, he was bigging himself up. He was justifying himself in the presence of God. He was telling God what he thought about himself. And of course, it was very flattering what he said about himself. But he didn't understand himself. He didn't understand what he was really like. And there are many people, particularly people who aren't Christians, but also even Christians can be like that to a certain extent. Do we really appreciate Although we may have been saved, although we've been reconciled to God through Jesus, but do we really appreciate the depth of the corruption that is in our old nature? Do we really appreciate the potential that we have for committing sin? Do we realise that? Sometimes, um, you know, if we're talking to people and we maybe we... 
open a newspaper and there's been some awful incident, perhaps a young child, we've had a few of those lately, six-year-old child maybe who's brutalised, who'd been persecuted, who'd been um, um, bullied by usually one parent and his or her partner, a, a poor young child over a number of weeks or even months has been treated most appallingly. Um, and we look at the paper or we look at the news and say, oh, I could never do something like that. Have you said that before? Or maybe one of your friends have said that before when we see something awful in the news. But the problem is, until we're, we're glorified, until we're made perfect, practically perfect, we are a, any one of us have this awful potential to do the most vile and terrible things. So don't, we must be honest with ourselves. If we know something of what we are capable of, We'll never say something like that. I could never do that. Because we have, we have the devil tempting us, we have our old nature tempting us, and we have this, this corrupt nature which has the potential for appalling evil. Okay, let's, this, this Pharisee, he was, he was talking to himself. He was praising himself. Now, he believed that his God, the God of the Jews was the creator of all things. He believed that there was only one God, the God of his own people. All the so-called gods of other nations were no gods at all. They were figments of man's imagination. He knew that God was holy. He had given, God had given his people, the Jews, his laws, the Ten Commandments. He knew that God Sorry, he had, God had sent prophets, judges, priests and kings to teach his people and guide them. God himself had delivered his people from their enemies on many occasions. But consider the approach of the Pharisee to God. It's almost as if he's approaching God as God's equal. When he stands up and, let's be honest, when he boasts about what he thinks is his goodness and his righteousness, what he thinks, I don't do this, I don't do that, and I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. What he's trying to do, maybe without realising it, but he's trying to justify himself before God. But God knows the state of his heart. God has seen everything that he's done since he was a little child. And God knows the motives of that Pharisee. The man and woman in the street where, uh, who know, who've seen the Pharisee perhaps quite a few times, praying on the street corner, wanting to make people think that He's especially holy. But God knows the motives of such a man. God is able to judge the secrets of his heart and his mind. And God is not fooled 
about a, with a person's outward appearance. We can fool, can't we? We can fool our friends and our neighbours and our work colleagues. But God cannot be fooled. He knows what you're thinking right now. And another thing about this Pharisee, he seems to think that his so-called religious qualifications make him him acceptable to God. He's very pleased with the fact that he fasts twice a week and that he gives his tithes regularly. Now, that characteristic, that way of thinking, is not exclusive for religious Jews, for Pharisees. There are many people, people who would say that, uh, that they are Christians or they believe God. They, they would say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ came to save us, for, save us from our sins. But... Their understanding of perhaps being a Christian or going to heaven is that they have to show to God, demonstrate to God that they are serious by the way that they live. In other words, they, w- they would say, well, there's certain things that I never do because I know they're wrong. Now that obviously is good. It's, it, it's, it's not good to sin. And then they would, looking on the positive side perhaps, they would say, well, there are certain things that I do do because I believe that these are things which are right to do and that God will will reward me. For example, they may think that, yes, um, I should go to church. Sometimes people can do this to salve their conscience. Maybe they, maybe they have done things wrong and they feel, oh, I better go to church. I better get those things forgiven. But what it often boils down to is them trying to make themselves good enough to be accepted by God. And as we've, we've realised, and certainly as we've sung in the hymns this morning, there is nothing that any of us here can do to make ourselves good enough for God. It's very humbling, actually, or it should be humbling when we come to that conclusion, that I cannot do anything which is going to make God say, oh, what a a wonderful young man he is, or what a wonderful young woman he is, or she is. It's very humbling because what it means is that we, we have to rely on God's mercy. We have to rely on God's mercy. I can't save myself. My past is too black. I've done so many wrong things. There is no hope for me. And when a person comes to the point that, they, that he or she will say, there is no hope for me, then there is hope for that person. They've come to the end of their efforts. They've come to the end of all the things they thought they could do 
to get into God's books, to be forgiven and given a place in heaven. When we come to the end of all our pathetic attempts to make ourselves good enough for God, then there is hope. Then and only then there is hope. You know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote big chunks of the, of the New Testament, he came to a similar conclusion. Before, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was actually an enemy of Jesus. He was an enemy of followers of the way. He was an enemy of the, of the small groups of, of people, Jews who had become, and Gentiles, a few Gentiles who had become Christians. And he was, he was trying to destroy them. He was come, uh, getting them locked up in prison, getting them punished. Because he thought he was doing God a favour. He thought he was, um, if you like, crushing this new sect Followers of the way, followers of the Lord Jesus. But he, he came to a point in his life after he had met Jesus. He said, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and a violent man. What had happened was that the truth about himself had, had come home to him in such a powerful way that he was, he, was, he was grieving over what he had done wrong in the past. He thought, he was, he thought God was pleased with him. He thought he was... He was doing something right by trying to crush this new sect. But he was humbled. I was, I was doing God's will, but then I met Jesus and he showed me how ignorant I was. He showed me how sinful I was and I had no hope but to throw myself on God's mercy through Jesus. So, how can we summarise this Pharisee, this religious man? He was proud. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? He was self-righteous. It's usually the self-righteous person that doesn't think they need to repent. Self-righteous person very often doesn't think they've got anything to repent of. Self-satisfied. But at the same time he was ignorant and deluded about what he was really like. And we can be like this as well. When we read the Bible, certain passages in the Bible, what we really like jumps off the page very often and convicts us of certain sins. He thought, this Pharisee thought himself superior to other people. He looked down on them. Now let's consider what he was, what was going on in the, in the temple. There was no acknowledgement. He did not acknowledge his own sin. He doesn't appear to realise and to be aware of the fact that he was a sinner. No calling on God for forgiveness he didn't think he needed to be forgiven no sense of need for mercy and grace from God no apparent sense of the holiness of God and also the wrath of God against sin he wasn't just deaf, dumb and blind to his spiritual state 
I think we can say that he was spiritually dead. He didn't know or understand what he was really like. He didn't know what he was like from God's point of view. And I would suggest that a person who is God is working in by his spirit, by his word, is gradually, by the grace of is gradually coming to see something of how God looks at him, something about how God thinks about that man or that woman. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and our mind, we just think about what we're like. We cannot understand fully how God regards us. God is holy. We, we, can't, we, we really have little or no true understanding of God's holiness. But God is holy. He looks at us in a very different way from which we look at ourselves and what we, how we consider what we are like. And There are many ordinary men and women who are quite satisfied with their way of life, quite satisfied with their so-called morality, if they ever think about morality. They've got a conscience... Even and it may be worn down very thin and if it does trouble them now and again they soon give their conscience short shrift and blot it out and if anyone told them they were a sinner they'd get very angry and be offended you see it is important that we, we get some glimpse of how God regards us, a holy God regards sinners like us. God does not compromise with sin. He cannot compromise with sin. He can't sweep it under the carpet. And we need to understand that. But if we, if we say to God, Lord, I, I, if we can say something like, I don't really fully understand what I'm like. I don't fully understand that I am a sinner, but please help me understand that I am a sinner and what that means to you. Help me to understand what happens if I continue being a sinner. Never realise, never come to you in repentance and faith and asking you to forgive me and change me. Okay, what about the tax collector? What sort of of man was he first thing it's very clear he was deeply aware of his sin worlds apart from the religious man we can assume this because we're told he stood at a distance he wouldn't even look up to heaven he was so ashamed of himself he was so convicted of his sin he hung his head in shame. He beat his breast and cried out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he had left. He got nothing to say for himself. Nothing to recommend himself to God with. He was ashamed of himself. He was ashamed of his sins. And it's not just, I don't think, in this particular case, 
Sometimes people are ashamed of themselves, ashamed of their sins, because those sins have been found out. They've been discovered. The sins that that person has committed are in the public arena, you might say, and the, the opinions and the impression that other people have about that person is completely shattered. Oh, we didn't know he did things like that. Oh, we didn't realise that she... Da-da-da-da-da. These were genuine conviction of sin. Convi- he, was, he was under conviction from God. And we can thank God when God, God's Holy Spirit speaks to us and convicts us of our sin. It can be uncomfortable. Sometimes our pride may well up and against what God is revealing to us. But God is doing that because he's kind. God is doing that. He's revealing our sin to us. He's convicting us of our sin. He's doing it because he's kind. And unless we understand that, unless we're, perhaps you could even say, unless we're revolted by our sins of the past, we're never going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're never going to see the desperate need of being forgiven. The desperate need of God, as it were, holding out his arms and said, I sent the Lord Jesus into the world. He bore your sins in his body on the tree. When we understand that, what a relief that is. What a relief that is. You know, sometimes, I suspect many of us here this morning, sometimes we we know we've committed Sins after sins after sins. Sometimes the same sin again and again and again. We ask God to forgive us. We say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sick and tired of committing the same sin. How can you possibly forgive me again and again and again? I can't understand it. And sometimes we may, we may even doubt that we're a Christian. How can I be a Christian if I commit the same sin, sin again and again? I'm... Pray, I pray to the Lord Jesus, please forgive me. And I still go on doing those sins. And the devil comes in, of course, you can't be a Christian. How can you be a Christian? You ask, you ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven, you know something of what it's like to be forgiven, but then you, then you do it again and again. The devil will accuse us. We know this, don't we? We've probably all been accused of repeated sins. But this man, this man had real deep conviction, regret, and he doesn't bring any excuses at all. And if we're in a similar situation, nor, nor should we. We have got no excuses, especially if we're Christians. God says that, Um, He won't allow us to be tempted more than we are able to resist. But with the temptation which he allows, he gives us the strength to um, turn our back on that temptation. His past life convicts him, condemns him. His conscience condemns him. And apart from God's mercy, he cannot avoid spending an eternity of misery and suffering in hell. 
He threw himself on the mercy of God. He gave up thinking there was anything he could do to please God. And so what did Jesus say to the crowd who had been listening? Well, what Jesus said must have sent shockwaves through the crowd. You see, the crowd who were listening to Jesus, they had been confronted with two men, an apparently religious man and an out-and-out sinner. What's the odds, you might say? What is Jesus going to say? Which of those went home forgiven and justified? Well, the, the people in the street, they might have thought it's obvious. Well, it may have been obvious to them. But God doesn't work in people's lives. God's opinion of people, God, the way that God deals with people, is not the same as the way that sinful men and women do. What Jesus said sent shockwaves through the crowd. It must have turned their understanding on its head. It was a complete contradiction of all they believed. An out-and-out sinner going home justified before God. And that meant he'd been forgiven by God, cleansed of all his sins, accepted by God in spite of his past, regarded as righteous in God's sight. And as Jesus went on to say, those who exalt themselves, the proud, the self-righteous, those who have no sense of their own spiritual need, they will be brought low, they will be humbled. But if we humble ourselves before God, if we admit that our only hope is to throw ourselves on his mercy, then like that tax collector, we will be forgiven. We will be cleansed. We will be justified by God. How is that possible? Well, I was talking a minute or two ago about how how a Christian may feel when they commit the same sin again and again and again. They ask themselves the question, perhaps, how can God go on forgiving me when I do the same thing again? Well, there's only one answer to that. And that is, every single sin that a Christian has committed in the past has been laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father laid on him every single sin that every single Christian has committed. In the past, today, and the sins that we will commit in the future. So when we beat ourselves up, because we are sinning again and again. Remember, those sins of our past and the very same sins that we will commit in the future, God the Father has laid them upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He became sin. He became sin. And he was punished. The full righteous anger 
and condemnation for sin was laid upon Jesus. In other words, if a person becomes a Christian, then they can know that that the sin which they deserve to be punished for, which you and I deserve to be punished for, has already been dealt with. Jesus took that sin. Jesus was punished for our sin. And that is why when a person becomes a Christian, they, they can look back on their past life. They look back with regret, with terrible shame. But they can know, they can face their sins square on and they, they can be honest with themselves and they can be honest with God. And if they so choose, they can be honest with their friends when they're perhaps witnessing to them or giving a testimony. They can say, yes, I was guilty of this. I did that as well. For 15 years I was whatever it was. And I deserve to go to hell. They can be honest about that as well. But, but, every single one of those sins has been forgiven by God the Father. And why? Because that sin and that sin and that sin has been laid on Jesus and Jesus was punished in my place. He received the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve. And that's why we can look out past sins square on and we don't have we, we should not no, we should no longer feel condemned the condemnation has been taken away we are free we can acknowledge that we were awful sinners but now we've received the righteousness of Jesus god has taken as it were our sins and he has laid them on Jesus God has taken, as it were, the, the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, and he has given that to us. We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. So when, when God looks at us, yes, he cannot, he doesn't have a memory lapse. He knows what we were like in the past, but he has given us this righteousness of Jesus. And we are accepted by him. Not of all the, the things that we've tried to do, like this Pharisee, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. And what a relief that is. What a relief. We don't have to, we don't have to cover up our sins of the past. That doesn't mean, of course, that we tell all the world of the awful things we've done. We, we shouldn't cover up. But we can be honest with ourselves. And we can say, what a wonderful God. He is prepared to accept me with all my dark past, with all the things I don't want anyone else to know about. He has accepted me in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing our last hymn now, which is in the blue book, uh, number 503. 503. Can we sing the um